Good morning, I'm Paul, host of the new PNL, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. We believe business needs a new PNL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. This week's guest on the new PNL Deep Discussion is the brilliant John Harris, President and CEO of Worldwide Partners Inc., one of the largest and fastest growing networks of owner-led independent advertising and marketing communications agencies in the world. WPI comprise of over 70 agencies located in more than 40 countries across Asia, Africa, Europe, Latin America, the Middle East and North America. And the agencies within this network serve an incredible range of blue chip global brands, including 3M, McDonald's, Amazon, Lufthansa, and Pfizer. And they represent over 5 billion US dollars in annual billings. So John, a very warm welcome to the new PL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. As I as I indicated in our early conversations, I'm I'm humbled that you would think I would have some uh, some value to add to your audience. So no, you absolutely will. Thank you. Um, perhaps we can start the conversation today with you giving listeners a bit of a background into who you are and what you do. Sure. So I am the president and CEO of Worldwide Partners, uh, which is one of the largest and most established global networks of independent marketing services agencies in the world. So we have 72 agencies um, uh, and 115 offices across 40 countries. And our agencies represent about 5 billion US dollars in annual billings. We work with some global brands you might be familiar with, 3M, Microsoft, Amazon, McDonald's, and Lufthansa, just to, to name a few. And I, mm -hmm. my guess is that most of your audience's frame of context for agency networks would be the multinational holding companies. So WPP and Omnicom, Havas, Dentsu, and the likes, where their model is based on acquiring and certainly over the, the last few years consolidating agencies mm -hmm. into a uh, global ownership structure within publicly traded companies. And the best way to think about worldwide partners vis-a-vis -vis holding companies is that we are a reverse holding company. So rather than the network owning the agencies, the agencies actually own the network. So my, right. my accountability is to board of directors of, of independent, independent agency owners uh, representing seven countries uh, across Asia and the Americas and EMEA who I work with to uh, establish the goals and the strategies for the network. So, you know, again, if you think about us versus the holding companies, the traditional holding companies, rather than the network acquiring the agencies and dictating the terms to the agencies, the agencies establish the operating principles and, and terms for the network. So it's kind of a bottom-up approach and all of our agencies remain 100% independent and they leverage this interdependent framework for collaboration that our network provides. And so my remit specifically to answer your question is to, uh, to maintain a network of the best independent agencies in the world who represent a diverse set of markets and vertical expertise and skill sets to address the, the needs of brand marketers and then to cultivate collaboration across a network that enables our agencies and their clients to, to reimagine growth for their business. So in an environment like we, we have today, and we've had for many years with the an uncertain economic environment and many, many multiple challenges for businesses. What are the fundamental strengths and benefits that you see in this reversed 
engineered ownership in terms of the network owning the holding company rather than the holding company owning the network. What are the strengths that play to the challenges we we have out there in the market at the moment? Well, I, I you know, listen, I think that the holding companies, um, you know, offer clients a diverse set of skill set and, and certainly scale um, in their offering. Um, but they built it through, you know, an acquisition model that um, does not necessarily translate into to integration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can't just put the pieces together and assume that they're going to to work together uh, simply because of a of an ownership structure. And I think when you have the freedom that independent agencies enjoy uh, to be able to make decisions independently of corporate mandated headcounts or or other mm-hmm. terms that it allows the agencies the freedom and the flexibility to put the client uh, and their people at the center of the decisions that they're making. Um, I think you've talked to independent agency owners all over the world. They're going to tell you that that freedom is absolutely critical in allowing them to to invest in their business, to invest in their people, to invest in their clients um, and do the right thing first and foremost for for those constituencies versus shareholders. So um, it it, it creates a, a flexibility um, and, and, and scale, uh, while also maintaining, you know, independent ownership, which, which these entrepreneurs thrive upon. Yeah. Naturally at the moment, there's a lot of discourse in business around how we maintain or build a more cohesive and collaborative culture in this more remote or hybrid world of work that we currently have. You as the, the head of WWP, you head up an organization that, as you've alluded to just a moment ago, 72 agencies, 40 countries, 115 offices. You've had to consistently strike a, a delicate balancing act between a diverse range of agencies, all with their own culture, but they also need to align to a, I guess, a common sense of purpose to make that network work efficiently. And you've managed to successfully implement that for, for decades as WWP. What are the key components to, a, I guess, to maintaining a cohesive sense of purpose in a more remote world when you have the challenges of those multiple cultures and that hybrid work environment. How is it achieved at WWP? Yeah, you know, so, you know, some context, the network was founded in, in 1938. So um, for clarification purposes, I was not the founder. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I joined Worldwide Partners in 2016. Yes. And um, as would be the case with anyone who steps into uh, a new role, uh, a new organization, I spent a great deal of time getting under the hood and listening to our agencies and listening to our clients. And although I think there were opportunities to evolve the proposition, perhaps the greatest gift that I was given was the task that I did not have to address. And that was to build or, or even rebuild the culture of the organization. Um, yes. you know, to, to maintain an enduring enterprise culture and purpose are they're not something that we can simply manufacture. You know, they're really born of an organization's DNA and the DNA of Worldwide Partners is collaboration. And that was the founding principle over 80 years ago and it remains um, our North Star today. So you know, to address your specific question, maintaining this cohesive sense of purpose as we've moved to more of a work environment is a, is a, a relatively new dynamic for, for some organizations. But if you consider our model, and I, I would argue that we've been working with the distributed workforce, you know, for decades. Um, yes. You know, in 70 agencies in 40 countries, remote work is what we do every day, and it's what we're built for. But the reason it works, and I would say that uh, this works for both remote uh, and in-person work, is 
is clarity and it's consistency and, and it's accountability. Um, our, our purpose is very, very clear. It is front and center in everything we say and do. It is in our name, it's Worldwide Partners. Um, it's yeah. the filter for, for every decision we make and every action we take. And, and whether you're working in Beijing or Belfast or, or Boise, uh, your experience with the network is consistent. Um, and so clarity and, and consistency, I think, are critical. I think the second point I would stress is the level of engagement with your constituencies. Um, this has mm -hmm. served us extremely well, especially over the last 18 months. I think Zoom and Microsoft Teams and any, any video platform um, um, has actually added more to our cohesion and collaboration than it's taken away. Uh, and I'm not talking about virtual happy hours, right? I think we've all in agencies have tried those and, and, and those days are over, but you know, we've used the platforms collaborating on projects prior to COVID, but, but these platforms have actually out, allowed us to scale our communication and collaboration as it relates to shared learnings at an ex exponential rate. I mean, prior to COVID, our agencies would meet in person two times a year as a global team. Um, and these are invaluable environments where relationships are built and trust is built between the agencies, but we couldn't scale these, right? I mean, it's expensive to, to travel around the world to go to the meetings and, and it's time out of the office and, and uh, it really limited our ability to, to stay front and center 365 days a year. When COVID hit and in-person meetings came to a halt, our agencies needed each other more than ever. And so we, we leaned in hard to weekly roundtables and, and virtual global events, which not only accelerated the collaborations, but it kind of really extended um, the, the reach of our network and our proposition deeper into every agency. And so this unintended consequences, if you will, were that the value of the network was, was amplified exponentially through a higher degree of engagement with our, our agencies. Um, and I think there's one thing that I, I, I think was really, really unique to us that's, that's allowed us to maintain um, the culture in this kind of remote environment is that, you know, collaboration is, is celebrated in our network as our purpose and our reason for being, but it's not mandated. And, you know, every agency has opted into our culture and to our purpose. It hasn't been yes. forced upon them. You know, we did not acquire the agencies and, and say, all of you get together, collaborate, deliver value for our shareholders. We, we invited them in. And so yes. I, I don't think collaboration is something that can be mandated. It's, it's really an outcome of choice. And so our agencies are working together because they choose to, not because they have to. And I think that dynamic of opting into shared set of values, it shifts the relationship from one that can be very transactional uh, to one that's much more personal. And, and, and when yeah. it's personal, it matters, right? It, it, it becomes very actionable um, and, and not just theoretical. And it brings forth a sense of individual accountability that really doesn't require this formal incentive structure or consequences. It's, it's, it's self-managed. And so I can't stress enough the importance for us and, and people self-selecting into this versus us forcing it upon them. Yeah, I understand that. Often in, in business purpose or the value of purpose isn't recognized until there is a time of crisis in a business and you turn back to anchor your business and, and give you focus and direction to move forward in the middle of that crisis. And many businesses over the last 18 months, some turned back and found they were, they were anchored in their purpose and others turned back and found they were directionless. 
you clearly have purpose and that collaboration approach built into the heart of your business. I wondered what the, the expressions, the conversations you've had over the last 18 months with your members about the perhaps a newfound recognizing of that, the strength of that purpose within your organization. What are the conversations that you've had with those CEOs that, that have highlighted that purpose is perhaps stronger than you, you maybe anticipated within the network? Yeah, I um, um, running an agency can be a very lonely job. <laughs> and um, when the pandemic hit 18 months ago, I think there wasn't a CEO in, in any industry, much less you know, you know our, our advertising industry who said, what do we do? And yes. um, I've always stressed to our, our agency owners that there's not a problem or a challenge or an opportunity that you're facing that someone in the network hasn't faced or isn't facing. And, and, and to, to not just think about our network when you have a pitch or a specific business need, but when, yeah. you, have, when you have a problem. And, and you know, we saw agency leaders that were having conversations that were you know, started with, you know, well, we have a client in the travel and tourism industry that stopped 100% of their spending in, 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 in one day. What do we do? Yeah. And how do we adapt from that? And so, you know, we've now we're allowing uh, our, our employees to work from home. Are you allowing them to take monitors home? Are you giving them stipends for technology needs, um, you know, uh, in their remote work? And so, you know, we, we were actually we came together two weeks ago uh, for our first in-person meeting in two years. And, you know, everybody kind of looked at each other and said, my God, this network and 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 the, the 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 value proposition of collaboration has been more valuable now than ever before, and so yeah, yeah. it's it's been therapy. Um, there have been there's been counsel. Um, having a, a a community of peers to lean on uh, has been has amplified our purpose more so yeah. uh, than ever before. Yeah. Just a broader question on, on purpose and culture in a global business. Do you, I'd love to get your view on whether global businesses should expect to have a single culture and a single set of guiding principles. When you look at a business that extends its reach right across the world and you're uh, in 20 countries, 30 countries, 40 countries, all of which have different ways of working, different approaches to life, different approaches to culture. Is it even feasible or possible for a global business to have a single defining culture or where does the nuance need to be to recognize the, 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 the regional variations to that corporate culture? Yeah, I, I absolutely believe it's, it's reasonable. Um, but I think it, the, um, um, the guiding principles have to be universal yet malleable, right? They've yeah. got to be relevant at a macro level, but adaptable at a, at a micro level. Um, and I, you know, let's take a really easy example of this. And I would, I would point to Disney, right? I mean, every employee of Disney understands that their job is to create happiness through magical experiences, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and what that means for someone at working at a, a Disney park in Hong Kong might be very different than what it means to a producer at Disney Animation Studios in Hollywood, yes. right? It's these same guiding principles, but adaptable to different job responsibilities yeah. in different departments in different countries. And, and equally as important as having a, a, an operating philosophy that engages and empowers management in each division in each country to activate that culture 
accordingly, right? And so, you know, I think what, if you take the notion of what customer service may look like in, in the US versus what it might look like in, um, um, let's just say Brazil, right? I mean, I think it's a universal, you know, theme, but you have to have the, the, the systems and more importantly, you have to have the people who are committed to adapting and have the flexibility to adapt that culture locally um, and at the individual level. So um, uh, yeah. I think it's certainly it's certainly um, um, possible and 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 I would say almost a mandate, especially for a global organization. Yeah, there's been a sizable change in the the mindset that has come about as a result of the pandemic when it comes to sourcing creative or, or for that matter any talent in business. It's meant that agencies, marketing and advertising agencies are not confined to the hiring of local employees. They can find, because of the change in mindset and the remote working, they can explore the best talent in the world, not just the best talent in their region. I wondered what your thoughts were on what this trend will mean over the medium to long term. You know, will it creatively expand the remit and the ability and the talent of the agencies or will it ultimately come down to cost saving rather than creative talent? So well, finding cheaper talent rather than more creative talent. Yeah, I, I think this distributed workforce genie is out of the bottle and yeah. I do not see it going back in. Um, I think what was a reaction to and, 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 and a reality of the pandemic lockdowns has actually opened our eyes and our operating models to a, a beautiful new reality. I mean, access yeah. to a global talent pool will result, I think primarily more so than even cost savings. I won't come back to that, but I think it's really going to result in a bit of leveling of the playing field uh, on mm -hmm. several fronts. I think, you know, one, uh, an agency no longer has to be based in a major business center where, you know, the perception of the talent pool is larger. So I live yes. in, in Denver, Colorado, which is, you know, a, a good sized business center here in the US, but, um, you know, an agency here can, 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 you know, access talent in New York or London or, or Buenos Aires. And um, mm -hmm. I think on the flip side of that, I think talent no longer has to live in a major business center to work for an agency yes. that's based in a major business center. So this, you're seeing this great migration um, uh, employees in all sectors um, that are moving to markets that do have lower cost of livings because they can now work remotely. Um, I think perhaps even the, 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 the biggest change is that, you know, the, the shift in agency staffing models to support fractional talent. Um, you know, I think the, if you go back over three, four years in the making here, you've seen this, this agency model of of, of executive level, you know, agency leaders from holding companies who've, you know, um, left the holding company for whatever reason, and they've started their own agency. And, and the model has been based around access to a senior level team, and yeah. they will bring in on-demand resources as needed to, to deliver um, specific project needs for the client. So it's low overhead for agencies and clients only pay for what they need. And so in the past, you may have seen agencies who've had a freelance budget Right, that will bring in freelancers for new business pitches or as we need them when people are out for for pay, for PTO. Um, but now we're seeing even larger agencies adopting models where, you know, up to twenty five percent or more of their staff could be fractional on demand talent. And so, yes, I mean it, it allows the agency to to manage you know some costs with this. But I really think this is more around um, having the flexibility to build specific client needs, uh, build teams for specific client needs based on expertise, 
the clients are going to have for a project. And then it's a really around employee utilization in a more project-driven world. Um, you can build the exact team of experts and capabilities to meet an exact client need. And so again, I don't necessarily see this as purely a call savings because in some cases, mm-hmm. fractional talent costs more. You know, yes. And quite frankly, our clients are not raising the fees that they're paying to agencies. So I, again, I see this as more of an optimization of agency resources uh, to deliver both effectiveness and, and efficiency in the delivery of our service platform. So I think it's, I think it's a great thing for everybody um, in, the, in, the, in the value chain. With a more permanently distributed workforce, how do we, to go back to your earlier point, how does the industry deal with the collaborative, the face-to-face collaboration that is so critical to creativity? You know, you go in a, you go in a boardroom or a meeting room like you used to in an agency, and so much of the, the enthusiasm, the passion comes from the, the non-verbal clues, the expressions, the, the being in that intangible buzz of that moment. How do you replicate that with a distributed workforce to ensure that the creativity that needs to flow into that concept, that idea, that campaign is still able to be delivered remotely? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I don't know that, that, that we have the answer yet for that. I think that the agencies are doing so successfully. Let me, let me tackle it from two sides. Um, many times when you look at how agencies engage fractional talent, they tend to treat them as um, kind of downstream executors of campaigns developed by you know, the, the, the media team or the creative team is in-house. And so I think step one is that fractional talent has to be treated as extensions of your agency team and just like part of your agency team. And so you have to bring them um, into the fold just like you would full-time talent that's there each and every day. I believe some functions within the agency certainly thrive um, uh, and demand that in-person collaboration and, and, and trying to mimic that over Zoom has just been impossible. Uh, I think where it's working more effectively is the frequency uh, of that collaboration, um, um, where it's not, okay, we're gonna set up a call just at you know this time period, and we're gonna all focus on this for three months. It's much more iterative, right? Even if it's remote. So I think a, mm-hmm. a high degree of iteration and frequency of engagement is, is helping. I think there are some you know, um, uh, groups within the agency are actually thriving just being remote. I think if you're a data analyst, you want your head down and you're cranking through the data. Um, and, and, and I think developers in many times um, enjoy kind of working in a remote environment where they can stay focused and not be bothered by the project manager or the account planner who's coming in and tapping them on the shoulders. Uh, but I think it's a challenge. And I think that um, moving forward, uh, you're going to see hybrid situations where agencies are building office structures that are more uh, of kind of a terminal model uh, where yeah. uh, versus fixed seating where there's opportunities for, for, for teams to come in and collaborate in person. Um, and then when they need to work remotely, they can. So uh, I think it's a challenge, um, certainly. Um, but um, I think for the most part in talking to our agency leaders, I've only heard one group, one specific agency who said, um, we are gonna mandate that our employees are going to be working in the office. Now we will do it four days a week versus a full week but we believe that we're better together. And, um, uh, and, and so I think some people are putting, drawing a line in the sand. Have you heard of either in your agency network or, or further afield, any 
innovative examples of how businesses are replicating in a more remote world that incidental or accidental creativity that happens within an office, you know, hearing something behind you, hearing something as you walk past, someone's talking about a TV program or something they saw online and it sparks one of the dots to join in the back of your mind that you link to a campaign you're working on. Do you have any examples of how people are innovating and replicating that in a more remote world, that accidental and incidental creativity? Yeah, well, uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you a, an example that, that might be surprising. Um, I think when um, the teams have come together in a remote fashion, there has been a higher degree of involvement um, from other departments within an organization uh, around solving a specific client problem. And, and, and an agency leader shared with me the other day, I, said, I asked him, I said, has anything surprised you uh, throughout this, this remote process? And he said, you know, the, the, we were on a call the other day and um, our controller was in the meeting with creatives and, and with the media team and, and they were discussing some solutions for the client. And the controller, who's not typically engaged to, to bring forth uh, solutions, um, uh, marketing solutions, actually put forth an idea that no one had thought of before. And so um, I think that, that again, an un unintended consequence of bringing these groups together remotely and broadening the exposure of, of multiple functions within the agency into this collaborative setting has actually brought forth ideas that would have never come forward because some of those people would not have been in the room. Yeah. One of the big challenges for many leaders in this more remote world is around trust, around trying to delegate and not to micromanage, um, around understanding the, the various challenges that individuals have in a more remote world. I wondered what your views were on what the characteristics of leadership need to look like in a business or need to look like in an agency to successfully take on these challenges and, and find opportunities rather than just manage the challenge, but see the opportunity in this world. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, we used to be able to pop our head into somebody's office or, or kind of read, a, read the facial expressions and know, you know, do a check-in, right? You're doing okay. And, or, or, you know, let's sit down and let's spend a few minutes just talking about what's going on in your life and not just on your projects. And, you know, the ability to do that um, remotely is, is more challenged. So I think that, that, that those leaders who are, I'll go back again to something I said earlier, it's around, it's around frequency. Right? It's around yeah. understanding and making time for your people and not just to get a project update, right? Not just a typical one-on-one -on -one where, where are you on these things? It's really carving out time to, to, to understand um, 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 you know, what the individual agencies or individual employees are feeling and being empathetic to those. So I think that's, that's one, it's around frequency and it's about context for um, the conversation. I think one of the other things that's been a real challenge is um, what I'll call presenteeism, right? It's this notion of us encouraging us as leaders, encouraging our people to take time for themselves, take time for their families. Yet when we're on holiday, we're checking emails or yeah. we'll make ourselves available for that meeting, even though we're on break. And that sets an example that despite what we're telling employees about taking time for yourself and ensuring that you're, you walk away from the computer when you're at home, um, we're sending conflicting messages, right? Yes. So we have to we have to lead by example 
um, not just in remote work, but in everything that we do, um, because our employees are going to take our cues from us and they don't feel it's okay to not be present, even though they're on holiday, um, they, they will be present. And from a mental health perspective, that's not, that's not good for anyone. So I think we have to, to set the example of, of, of that demonstrates balance, um, that celebrates time to yourself. Um, uh, and so that when we have people engaged in working on specific projects, they're all in. Uh, and, yeah. and so it's, again, this is not, this is not easy. I think the, the frontline workers for the advertising industry have been our human resources department. And they've been, you know, the managers of, of teams who are uh, really trying to nurture um, uh, clients or not nurture their employees. And, you know, some employees don't have a work environment that's conducive to um, finding the, the attention and giving worth the attention it needs, whether that's, you know, they live in a small flat with another, you know, um, roommate, um, or they've got two dogs and three kids and, you know, it's impossible to get things done. So we have to set the right example and give them the license to, yeah. to, to, to find the balance. Yeah. You touched a bit earlier on around the challenges for client budgets and advertising and marketing budgets have been decreasing for years and there's lots of conflicting pressure on the budgets that remain. I wondered something that is discussed from time to time out there in the market. And I wonder whether you, feel the industry needs to redefine and reaffirm the creative and strategic value, particularly that it, it brings to the relationships with its clients. If you do, how this can be achieved and where does the industry look to in terms of leadership to facilitate this change? What does leadership look like in this area? You know, our industry has to demonstrate value uh, in, in, in what we deliver for clients to, to ensure that we're paid fairly for the work that we do, but, but more importantly, um, are, are earning our seat back at the table as the trusted advisor we once were. Yeah. I believe we have allowed ourselves to become a commodity and we have to decommoditize ourselves and demonstrate value beyond our ability to execute campaigns. Um, clients can execute campaigns on their own and they are, right? I mean, we're seeing the trend mm -hmm. toward in-housing. Um, and I think most importantly, we have to demonstrate our ability to apply creative thinking to solve clients' business, not simply produce creative outputs. And yeah. I think though, if we needed any validation of the power of creative thinking, um, we saw it two years ago with the acquisition of Drogify by Accenture, um, where they mm -hmm. spent, what was it? I don't know what the number was, billion dollars. And if I'm surely I'm overshooting that number a bit but a significant amount of money to bring creative thinking into the consultancy world. So there is um, value uh, in the power of creative thinking uh, to apply mm -hmm. towards business challenges. And I think that we have to earn that seat back. And I think the single greatest opportunity is the development of talent and most specifically the development of account people. You know, yeah. our account service teams have to take on a consultant mindset versus a project management mindset. I think the only way that we're going to get there is building and shaping account teams who are, are entering our industry because they want to move the client's business forward, not because they want to get into advertising, right? I mean, we, yeah. you know, it's, I hate to say that, but sometimes, you know, it's a bad word, right? And, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're not, you know, it's advertising is around entertainment. We're not in the entertainment business. We're in the sales business. And so um, I remember the time when the, head of account service 
um, uh, the president of the agency was sitting alongside not just the CMO and the CEO, um, um, but you know, with the entire executive team and, and demonstrating the value and helping make business decisions. decisions. And I think we have to, to build a new generation of account leaders who have the ability to have a business conversation uh, with clients, not just a executional conversation about how we're gonna get a campaign produced. Yeah, you touched on the Accenture acquisition there and there are many other challenges and disruptions or potential disruptions heading towards the, the advertising and marketing sectors, not least from management companies who are like Accenture bringing creativity in-house. I wondered what you felt the next major disruption will be on the industry and more importantly how do advertising and marketing industries those incumbent in the industry embrace that disruption whether it's technological or strategic how do they embrace it and turn it to their advantage rather than be passive recipients of it yeah i'm not sure that the um the next wave of disruption is purely tech-led i believe mm -hmm. it's going to be people-led um, you know, I, I think we have just discussed about the, the, the um, evolution of talent accessibility. Um, we are seeing the rise of the creator economy, uh, where consumers are monetizing, monetizing themselves. Um, the industry has been talking about the consumer taking control for years, but uh, I would argue that the power shift from marketer to audience uh, will continue to grow at an exponential rate. And so I think the yeah. next killer app really, and this may sound surfing, self-serving based on our organization's culture is collaboration. Uh, it's the yes. new marketing currency and the winners will be those that have the ability to orchestrate and activate diverse perspectives, ideas, uh, diverse capabilities to help our clients reimagine growth. And although tech may be an enabler, this is about people. It's not about platforms. And so I, yes. I, I truly believe that the, the next disruptor is, is is this idea of, of truly delivering collaboration on our, our clients' behalf. So collaboration is something that the industry has been very good at over many years, you know, creative teams and developing campaigns and so on. What does leadership look like in the future of this industry? What, what characteristics are needed in the industry more generally to ensure that we build collaboration into our heart of the industry, if you like? Look, uh, agencies are a resilient bunch, and I think we've shown that for our entire existence, um, um, and this has been compounded over the last 18 months, I am in awe of what our agency leaders have done to, um, to not just maintain their businesses, but to evolve and even grow their businesses. Mm -hmm. I have such an incredible amount of respect for how the leaders within the agencies across our network have responded in the face of adversity. I think that's what we've counted on from independent agencies. And so, you know, I think characteristics of adaptability, um, um, demonstrating capability, and most importantly, I think humanity, um, that, that commitment to putting people above profit uh, at a time where our industry needed it most has is, is been paramount. Um, I also believe that conviction um, uh, is critical. Um, you have to have clarity on, on, on what you stand for as an organization and what you stand for as a leader and, and what you're going to fight for. Um, what you're going to rally your teams around because people need to believe and trust their leaders. And I think conviction is an incredibly powerful tool, but, but, but not conviction at the um, expense of compromise. Um, as I've said, yeah. I think collaboration is the next killer app, but leaders have to listen. Leaders have to be able to accept when they are wrong and leaders have to realize that it's not about them being right. 
It's about their teams being right. And so that requires you to put together the right types of teams. And I think that how we're looking at um, talent within the agency um, is, is not just pulling talent from within the agency industry, right? I mean, for years, we've seen revolving doors where we go and we, we bring in talent specifically from other agencies because they have the experience in the category or they understand the agency business. But I think building a diversified set of, of, of a leadership team that's representative of, of, of talent from outside of our industry uh, we're seeing a big trend in, in agencies bringing more clients into the agency mm -hmm. landscape to give greater sensitivity to that. And so I think a diversified leadership team and from capabilities, certainly from a cultural perspective, um, I think is absolutely critical um, for, for the future. So many more brands invest in, in digital marketing directly with social media platforms or via intermediaries or agencies that perhaps don't fit with the traditional advertising or marketing model. And I wondered how effective, firstly, you felt advertising and marketing agencies had been in adjusting to this new world. And in line with that, whether you feel that the traditional agency model has been broken beyond repair as some claim or whether it is just whether it's just evolving, I guess. Yeah, I, I think the trend of client moving more marketing services in-house is not going away. Uh, mm -hmm. And with that comes their direct relationship with media outlets and, and not just with, you know, social media platforms with it all, but with all media providers. And so is the traditional agency model broken beyond repair? No, um, I think the agencies who are embracing this as an opportunity versus resisting the shift are the ones who will be left standing. Yes. You know, so, you know, if you, if you, if you buy into that and if you buy in that, that the agency are embracing the opportunity versus resisting the shift are the ones that are gonna be left standing. I believe there are several models for what the agency of the future will look like. And despite the trend towards client in-housing of services, clients are always going to look to external partners who can add value. And, and why? And I think, you know, I, I always refer to this quote when, when people ask me this question. And it's, you cannot read the label from the inside of the jar. Okay. Brands can pull more work in-house to better understand the customer journeys and, and gain more transparency into their data and, to, and what campaigns are, are performing better. But it's the vision and strategy from smart, creative people outside of the organization um, that is going to ensure that the agency business is, is, will thrive in the future. And so, you know, um, rather than pretending we can do it alone uh, without the clients, we should start a conversation as an industry that will help us co-create with clients and, and, and respect what they can do for themselves and respect ourselves enough to get paid properly for what they still need us for. And that's reimagining growth for their business and um, um, and the future. So if you look at the agency models that I believe are ripe for growth, the first thing I will say is this, data is a cost of entry. It's not a differentiator. So especially as clients bring more data in-house, um, um, you know, clients need interpreters of that data. So let's assume across all of these models that I see rising to the top, that data is a cost of entry. So the first yeah. piece is um, the creative consultant agency, right? It's, it's um, you know, we've conducted research uh, with independent agencies and identified that the fastest growing and most profitable service offering is strategy, right? Yeah. So we're starting to see agencies lean into being strategic advisors and just being strategic consultants and finally getting paid for the strategy that we typically give away during the pitch process. So I think this creative mm -hmm. consultant who provides strategic value 
high margin strategic value to our clients is one model that's going to continue to, to rise. The second is a specialist agency. Uh, I mean, specialist by capability, specialist by vertical, um, specialist by target audience, uh, specialist by product life stage, maybe working specifically with startups. Um, clients are looking for specialization to address very specific business needs. And the great thing about specialization is it scales. If you are the mm -hmm. best um, in one specific vertical, uh, it doesn't matter what geography you're in, right? It scales on a, on a geographic basis. Specialists can charge more because they're experts in what they do. And specialization actually creates more opportunities and limits more opportunities because many agencies are afraid to specialize because they're afraid they're gonna miss out on something. But I would yeah. argue that it actually opens lane up. I think the last model that is gonna to continue to expand is the production agency. It's built to create, produce and distribute and optimize content in, a, in an effective and efficient way and make money doing it, right? Because it, is a, it can be a very, very low margin business, but those agencies who are building systems to be able to produce content at scale efficiently and effectively are gonna to continue to thrive. And there may be some networks in, in, um, um, that can aggregate all these into a collective offering, but I believe these three individual areas will continue to grow. Yeah, great examples. John, we always end the show with guests offering one or two pieces of salient advice that listeners can go away and think about and use in their businesses. So when it comes to building successful corporate cultures, what would that be from, from your perspective today? I think the first is do not underestimate the power of internal alignment and broad ownership of your vision and strategic plan. Mm -hmm. I have seen more organizations and, and, and leaders embark on a journey that's, that ends up in self-sabotage because they, they, they strive to be right. Um, they're striving to demonstrate their value, to make their mark, uh, and they're not collaborating with their teams and creating greater ownership and alignment. Um, as a leader, you are one person, right? The only way to scale yourself is to ensure that you have a team that has ownership uh, in, a, in a collective and aligned set of goals. I mean, one chink in the armor can be disastrous. So I think alignment is absolutely critical. I think the second piece is embracing a, a fluid versus a fixed mindset. If the, if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that the market and the world can change in an instant. And leaders have to be able to adapt. And whether you're a brand marketer or an agency leader, you have to dispose of the idea of a fixed plan, right? You've got to become more fluid in your approach to the business. Annual plans are out and 90 day sprints are in. And so, you know, if you think about fluid leadership, it's, you know, it's this fluid leaders establish a flexible foundation, right? I've got something mm -hmm. that I believe in, and, but it has the ability to, 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 to flex based on what the specific dynamics are. They're, they're fluid leaders are, are, are opportunists. Uh, they're not protectionists. Um, they're, they're prizing and pursuing questions, not answers. Um, and, and, and maybe ultimately fluid leaders are, 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 have honed their instincts to read situations uh, and to make a quick call. And um, I'll use a, you know, an American football analogy when you think about a quarterback um, who's you know, kind of the CEO, if you will, of the team and, and the offense. And they can read the defenses, but, but, but not just run set plays. Um, um, you know, so you know, it's, this, it's this idea of um, you operate from a, a, a foundational uh, mindset that is rooted in, in experience and instincts, but, but you're working in a very, very fluid world. Fantastic pieces of advice to, uh, to end the show with, 
John, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, mine as well. And I appreciate uh, the time you've invested in the conversation. If you'd like to learn more about what Worldwide Partners do, the agencies that form part of the network, and the agencies that operate in your regional market, then please go to worldwidepartners.com. And you'll also find the links in the notes that accompany this podcast. If you've enjoyed the conversation with John today, please do take a moment to rate us or review us. It's genuinely appreciated and all helps with our ratings and our rankings. And if you'd like to join the new PL movement for more principles and leadership in business, then please go to principlesandleadership.com and subscribe to our newsletter. So finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you once again for listening. Have a great day and speak again soon. Thank you.